Well, we uh, are in a holiday mode, so we're looking at Psalms, and we're looking at one of the great Psalms in Psalm 135. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you that you are the great God who speaks and has spoken to us this morning as your word was read. Help us as we look again at this passage to see how great you are, that we may trust you more and praise your name. Amen. Well, the new year is traditionally a time to take stock, to evaluate our lives and maybe, just maybe, resolve to do things differently this year. Sometimes people resolve that this year I will go on a diet and lose those kilos. Or this year I will exercise more. Or this year I will quit smoking. Or this year I will worry less. Or it might be that people resolve to do that course that they've always been wanting to do. Or learn that instrument that they've always wanted to learn. Or try that hobby that they've always been fascinated by. Sometimes people resolve at this time of year to go for that new job. Or to even go for a new career. And sometimes they even decide to stop working altogether. New Year is a time for resolutions. And as Christians, sometimes we resolve to do something different in the spiritual side of our lives. Sometimes we resolve that this year we will read the Bible more, or pray more, or invite that person to church this year. Or be at church ourselves more often this year. Or whatever it is. And these are all good things to do. And that's why we resolve to do them. But sadly, sometimes the motivation is flagging by February or March. Or sometimes even January. I wonder if it would help us. If we got a picture of how great our God really is, how huge and worthy of praise he is, and how wonderful it is that we have peace and friendship with him instead of enmity through Jesus. Well, we get this and a bit more in Psalm 135. So let's go to the psalm and meet the greatest of gods. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, you servants of the Lord. You who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Not surprisingly, at the start of a psalm, we are encouraged to praise the Lord. The Lord, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, he is to be praised. It is a fairly typical start to a psalm and we kind of look at it and go, yes, that's what should be happening and we move on. Uh, and we note that at the end of the psalm, it goes back to, lovely, the song goes back to the chorus at the end, 
Uh, it goes back to the call to praise God at the last three verses. It's the kind of thing where you look at and you go, oh, I wonder if praising God more was on my list of New Year's resolutions. Was I waking up on January 1 going, you know, this year I'm going to be more thankful for God and praise him more? Maybe that was what you were doing, but maybe it wasn't. If it wasn't what you were planning on doing, well, the psalmist is going to give you a whole heap of reasons why praising God is actually an awesome thing to do and should be part of your plans in 2024. The first is there in verse 3. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. The Lord is good. The goodness of God, as we sang in the song before this Bible reading, I listened to it. That's so perfect. The goodness of God is a reason to praise him. And his goodness is evident in creation all around us and in the common, common blessings of life. Even life itself is a good gift from God. As it said in our other passage in Acts 17, God gives us life and breath and everything else. That means that when you have that coffee with someone, that's a good gift from God. When you do that walk on the riverside walk and the birds are singing and the sun is shining and the wind's not blowing, that is a good gift from God. When you wake up and you take your breath, that is a good gift from God. Everything that we have that is good, every single thing that we look at and go, yeah, that was good, is a gift from God. God is good. When I was younger, I used to hear a lot about the goodness of a glass and a half of full cream dairy milk. Younger people are probably looking at me going, what on earth is he talking about? It is true. It was good for me and I partook of that glass and a half of full cream dairy milk plus the ton of sugar that went with it. But friends, the goodness of God is far deeper and far richer than that. It's not advertising, it is true. Whenever we have anything that is good, it is from his hand. He is really good. And that is a reason each day to praise God, both to him and to each other. To say, isn't God good? And every available opportunity. And God's goodness is also seen in his election of his people. In verse 4. For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own. Israel to be his treasured possession. The election of God's people is another reason to praise God. For God has chosen them. In the Old Testament... 
God's chosen people were Israel, the descendants of Jacob, as you can read on the, in the verse. But since Jesus, it is all who believe in Jesus from any nation, tribe or tongue. God's choosing of his people from out of all the nations is a reason to praise God. Now, sometimes we're not quite sure about this in terms of we don't feel it in the way the psalmist does here. Sometimes we feel guilty that we're chosen and not others. Rightly working out that it's not because of anything that we've done, that we don't deserve it. But notice the psalmist knows all these things and yet still praises God for his election. You see, we ought to feel humbled that God has chosen us not because we're better than anyone else, but because he chose us. And grateful, grateful that God chose to make us one of his own people. Friends, it is a great thing to be grateful to be one of God's people. And in the last part of the passage, we see why. For as it says here, God has made us as his people his treasured possession. And that is an astonishing thought to start 2024 with. That God would look at you and me and think of us as his treasured possession. Despite what the world might say, we aren't nobodies. We aren't nothings. We are God's treasured possession. What a wonderful thing. And, and, and another implication is that we aren't defined by our occupations or lack of occupation as is the case so much in the West. We look and say, what, what do you do for a living? And then we can put people in a box. Oh, you're one of them. No, we are not defined by our occupation. We are God's treasured possession. That's who we are. What a wonderful grace that is. And we are defined by our human relationships, which is another way in which we define ourselves in the West. Where we look at each other and say, oh, I'm, I'm just a dad, or I'm just a mum, or I'm a grandparent. No, primarily, we are God's treasured, treasured possession. So as we look at ourselves in 2024, it might be good to remind ourselves every now and then of this truth, that we are chosen to be God's treasured possession, and that is the most important thing about us. Far more important than anything else about us. Let us praise him for choosing us and making us his treasured possession.
And let us praise him for his greatness. Have a look at verse 5. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. A third reason to praise God is his greatness. And the psalmist kind of lists three things that shows his greatness. The first is that he is the greatest of all the gods. The second is that he does what he wants. And the third is that he's in charge of everything in creation. God is great. Now when we say that, God is great, we often say it and don't really think about how amazing that is. We can get blasé about it because it just rolls off the tongue, especially in a song. Without truly thinking about how amazing God is. But it is when we compare God to the other so-called gods that his greatness becomes apparent. When you look at the alternative, well, he's amazing. And it's when we look at the fact that God chooses to do whatever he wants, when he wants, and we can't. You know that feeling you have where you were trying to do something and it didn't happen? God never feels that. Ever. He always achieves his purposes. And when we see the amazing power and hugeness of creation, we also see how amazing God is. When we look at that huge mountain or that wild sea or even more impressive, that newborn baby, then we see again the greatness of God and how amazing he is. And the natural thing to do when you see how great God is is to praise him. And the psalmist goes on to talk about how great God is in another way. Have a look at verses 8 to 12. It's a bit of a surprise in the psalm because normally what we would expect at this point is a list of all the times where God has saved his people. And instead, we see all the judgments of God listed. Well, not all of them. It's kind of like a highlights package. Where God has judged the enemies of God's people. Again and again in Israel's history, God judged their enemies. 
And it is worth noting that in judging their enemies, he saves them. When you look at the first one there in verse 8, he strikes down the firstborn of Egypt. Well, that was what was required in order for Pharaoh to let my people go. It was salvation for God's people at the same time as judgment on the enemies of God's people. The two actually go together. God saved them by judging their enemies who were attacking them or oppressing them throughout their histories. God has shown over time that he judges the evil enemies of God's people. And again, this is one of those parts of the scriptures where we look at it and we, we're kind of, yay, but we're not quite as excited about it because we wonder, what about those poor people? Who are judged? What about those Egyptians and those Amorites and those Canaanites? What about them? But friends, we ought to remember what the alternative is to a God who judges. The alternative is a God who doesn't care about justice. Or a God who doesn't care about his own people and therefore does not save people from the unjust. That would be an impotent and uncaring God. Such a God wouldn't be worthy of praise or worship or trust. But that is not our God. Our God is both potent and he cares. He is just. And as we see in this list of historical events, he judges time and time again the enemies of God's people and saves his people in the doing so. Our God is worth trusting and praising because of that justice. And that's contrasted with, well, the impotent and useless alternative, which you can see so skillfully put in verses 13 to 18. Your name, Lord, endures forever. Your renown, Lord, through all generations. The Lord will vindicate his people and they have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. So beautifully put, isn't it? The alternative to the God of the Bible, of, of Israel's God and of our God, is idols. And an idol is a substitute for God. And in the ancient world of the psalmist, this was the various gods of the nations. 
And they made representations or images of these so-called gods with statues called idols. And this was the ancient alternative to trusting the Lord, the God of Israel. And it is still the alternative. We might not make, though sometimes we do, metal images of metal or wood or stone, but we can put our trust in things that are not God and substitute things for God. Things like money or career or relationships or, well, anything can take the place of God and become an idol in our hearts. But the psalmist points out the folly of idols. He points out that they are actually lifeless. Can't speak, can't hear, can't see. And crucially, can't save. Verse 18 is the crescendo where it points out that those who trust in these idols will become like them. That is, they'll become lifeless and dead, just like their idols. For these idols cannot save from death like our God can. So why trust in idols? when you can trust in the great God of the Bible, the great God who created everything, who is just, who acts decisively in history to save his chosen people, and who has acted supremely in Jesus to save his people through his death on the cross for us. Why would you choose idols when you could choose the God who is there? Friends, let me encourage you that if you have not put away your idols and put your faith in Jesus, then this year is an excellent time to do it. And this year is a time when you can do that and be saved by this great God so that you no longer need to fear death and that you know that every sin that you've ever said or thought or done is forgiven and your slate is wiped clean. And then you can look forward with confident expectation to heaven. Wouldn't 2024 be a great year to do something about that if you haven't already? And if you have done something about it, if you do trust in Jesus and in the God who is so great, then make 2024... The year where you break out and praise God lots. As you go through each moment of this year, take the time to notice how good God is and all the blessings he gives you. Take time to notice 
his saving acts and be thankful for his election. The God who has saved you through faith in Jesus is worthy of all praise. Let us pray and thank him now. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you that in your great mercy, you have spoken and shown us this morning your greatness and your goodness. We thank you that you are a God who can be trusted and is worthy of all praise. Thank you that you are not impotent and lifeless, but that you do speak and act. And you act to judge and to save. And we ask of your mercy that we would be reminded of this again and again in 2024. And praise you all year and beyond. Amen.